uh, from uh, the Psalm 1. It's a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that I'm sure you're very familiar with, but it, it paints a picture. It's blessed is the man or the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Another verse from Matthew, uh, from the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew seven twenty four to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is sometimes so simple, isn't he? You're not convinced. Jesus is sometimes so simple. Hands up, those of you who think, I want to build my house on a rock. It's an easy one to get right this morning. Hands up if you want to build your house because you're a beach lover on the sand. No. It makes sense. It makes sense that in this series where we are working through our, our vision statement of proclaiming Jesus to people today, of making disciples where we're in at the moment, that we remind ourselves that Jesus is eminently realistic. It's about the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts, the stuff of our living today. And the outcome, Jesus says, if you hear his words, and if you don't really like what I'm saying to you today, I refer you to scripture. Not to say that what I'm saying is, is equal to scripture, but read the scriptures. Read the words of Jesus. If you take them to heart, take them to mind, you are wise when you not just hear them and when you do them. Otherwise, you're foolish. The psalmist would say, uh, the blessed are those ones who meditate on the law. They're like great healthy trees, not weedy plants like chaff who get burned up. Which would you prefer to be? No response. That's okay. I know you're responding in your mind. Jesus is very clear in and for us, making disciples, in other words, in becoming more like Jesus, for me, for you, for the aim of the, one of the goals of this church, is eminently practical. It really is about what we do. Are we going to build our house upon the rock, which will stand? Or are we going to kind of play loose and sit loose to the teaching of Jesus, and then we're putting foundations in other places? We're making disciples. I want us to, this uh, morning, think 
particularly uh, about one of those key themes and we'll, we'll be developing practically. I don't know if you've got a listen again feature on your computers where you can listen to me some more or you bring something to jot some thoughts or ideas down. On your smartphone, that's all right. We'll let you get those out. There's a great rush, I see. Um, you're all really good at remembering. It is sometimes good to, to jot thoughts down, to capture them as God speaks. Uh, making disciples, on, on a theme this morning of, of repentance. Now immediately when I say that word, you're probably thinking, oh dear, it's going to be one of those heavy lambasting makers feel a bit uncomfortable in our seats. Or you may be thinking, well repentance, yeah we hear about that word in relation to becoming a Christian. It's about, you know, when you, the evangelistic preacher preaches the gospel, repent and believe the good news. And that's right, there is this call, this word of repentance, but it's so much more. It's implicit in this following as a disciple. A mother was calling to her son and she shouted, Johnny, tell your sister to get into the house out of the rain. It was pouring outside. Johnny shouts back, I can't mum. Now, mother's a bit annoyed about this little sister standing outside in the pouring rain. And why can't you do that, Johnny? Because we're playing Noah's Ark, mum, and she's one of the sinners. (laughs) And we sometimes paint that picture that for those of us who've chosen to believe, who've moved from the place of not knowing God, of living our lives contrary to the ways of God, and becoming inside in the story of Noah and the ark. We, we see sometimes that, that difference of those who are out there, the godless, the sinful, the, the unregenerate, the pagans, the Gentiles, whatever phrase we want. It's kind of not the nice polite phrases, are they? Those who haven't yet discovered Jesus. And we see those of us who have come to believe inside, and we saw that post-process of repenting and believing, of being baptized, is coming in. And that is true. Some, this is what uh, repentance means. Uh, there's three different words often in, in Hebrew and Greek, and essentially they mean to be sorry, to change one's mind, to turn back or return. And we can see that in coming to faith. There's that repentance of that turning away, of, of changing direction, of returning to God. There's echoes of, of the prodigal in that. But Billy Graham once pointed out, he said, I've been shocked to find that this theme of repentance is proclaimed so emphatically by prophets and apostles in the scriptures. It's scarcely mentioned by contemporary preachers. And he's not meaning there as an evangelist. Yes, in the evangelistic setting. But in the, the living, in the, in the training and the teaching and the correcting of the church, how often does repentance feature Well, that's the theme for this morning. Uh, A chap says this, uh, before a man or a woman can do things, there must be things he will not do. It's a little profound statement. Dallas Willard, who um, is a great philosopher, Christian writer, I used this uh, a few weeks ago, but it's good for reminding ourselves, Philip was uh, reminding us of it last week. Dallas Willard says that the only biblical category of Christians are intentional apprentices of Jesus, desiring both to learn how to live appropriately under God's rule 
and how to offer its blessings to others. Digest that for a moment. The paraphrase of that is to say that if you call yourself a Christian, if you know Jesus, you're also a follower, a disciple. We've been kind of giving that, that reminder in the last few weeks of developing this series that a disciple is a follower. A disciple, a disciple is one who is living and seeking to live out the ways of Jesus. A pilgrim, so to speak. A follower. In other words, we've not just got into the ark and now we sit comfortably, but we are being changed. Challenging question. Are you more Christ-like this Sunday than last Sunday? I said I wouldn't make you squirm too much. Repentance isn't just for those coming in, though it is clearly. We need to turn away from the lifestyle that is godless and God-rejecting into the way of Christ, that invitation to come and follow But as Christians, we are living with this attitude, this heart motive as a disciple of repentance. Not just listing what we're sorry for, that that is incorporated, but to have one's mind changed, to turn back again, to return again and again to the ways of Jesus. Repentance. Some words in scripture, Isaiah 30 verse 15, that this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Mark 1, 15, familiar words, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, so we were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I want you to just note this, I've got this little kind of easy graph The repentance and belief are always kind of linked together. We know that. We talk about it. In in becoming a Christian, you need to turn from disbelief into belief in Jesus. But the same principle holds that we, we move from anything that doesn't conform to the ways of Jesus, the King, and his kingdom. We need to repent of those attitudes, those beliefs, those that mindset. And embrace the ways of Jesus. Do you get that? That as soon as we start to believe, we move in the ways of the king and the kingdom. But always in the ongoing journey of life, there is this kind of, as we grow in belief, we become more and more recognizing, we recognize more and more where we are failing to truly believe. And so we need to repent. Do you get that? So there's this cycle of, of repenting, of believing, and in believing, it causes us to realize where we yet haven't got it figured out straight, where we haven't yet got our life in the pattern of Jesus. And we need to repent. We need to turn from that, those ways to need to reorientate our thinking, our belief from disbelief into belief. Do you see that? How these two are really, really linked. It's how we grow as disciples. 
It's finding this repenting and believing are inseparable. One flows to the other and vice versa. It's really important to grasp this, that repentance, sometimes we talk about turning about giving up on these things that we know to be wrong. That's true. But if that's all the description is, it's kind of like a negative description. That's we're turning from, but turning to what? Belief, as the second part of repentance says, we turn away from uh, not believing whatever it is into embracing something new. We don't just leave what we didn't know and, and kind of have this mental vacuum that is just empty, formless. But we're turning away from the ideology, the thinking, the practices, the ways that we have all been indoctrinated in it by growing up in our culture to the ways of the king and the kingdom. Do you get that? Sorry? That was a long sentence. It's on the website later to... Uh... <laughs> what I would say is this. Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He's speaking of himself as the king and of the kingdom. That as Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he says, journey with me and your whole understanding of the way this world works will change. Because you believe in me and you turn away from the ways you've learned to live to the new ways of Jesus. So as you read through the Gospels, I made it a little challenge of mine at the moment to read in the next couple of weeks all four Gospels through. And as I've been doing that, I've been seeing again and again this this characteristic of this repentance, belief, this circular growing. That Jesus calls Peter and the other disciples to become followers. They follow. And through the course of, of what they see, they're astounded. Who is this, they say, as Jesus heals the paralytic and forgives sin and cleanses the leper and casts out the evil spirits? Who is this, as, as Jesus calms the storm and walks upon the water and multiplies bread and fish? Who is this? And the growing perception we find in the Gospels. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that growing belief, that realization, coupled with that, this diminishing sense of, we don't know who he is. To He is the Christ, the Son of God. I want to be with him. And alongside that, it's not just that kind of core belief, but the, the stuff of life that, that some of his disciples are saying, you know, who, who's top dog here, Jesus? You know, we, who's the most important among the disciples? You know, well, we could probably think John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, we see that. Maybe Peter, but he's a bit, he's a bit hot and cold, isn't he? He makes rash statements. And she said, no, no, no. You don't live this way anymore. The first should be last. The last should be first. That when Jesus was going to crucifixion, they still hadn't got what God was going to do. And they said, should we summon, summon the angels that and smite them? Summon the angels and, and just kind of, you know, show them who's boss. And Jesus says, you don't understand. I've come to die, I've come to suffer. They had to repent of their wrong attitudes in believing truly who the Son of God is and what he does. That all through the Gospels, the disciples, those learners who'd begun their journey with Jesus, 
we're learning this cycle that they, they journeyed with Jesus and their, their expectations and their beliefs and their mindset was challenged again and again and they had to turn from wrong ideas to kingdom ways. You know, if I was a betting man, I would say all of us, I'd win the bet if I'd made this bet with you. There are situations today and tomorrow and this week that demand a rethinking You know, the Sermon on the Mount, classic. It's not just written to make you think, well, Jesus is so much better than us and we'd never achieve it. It's written as, as the way of kingdom living. And some of it is really, really radical. Turn the other cheek. I say to you, it's not eye for eye and tooth to tooth anymore. Love your enemies, bless them. In marriage, in anger, in worry, in finance. A different way. We're called to be his people. Repent and believe. It involves a change of Thanks, Callum. It involves a change of of assumptions and allegiances. It involves a change of attitudes. It involves changing actions. And in doing so, we build our house on the rock. In doing so, we become the blessed ones who are planted by the life-giving stream in which we flourish. But it is a change of mind. It is a decision, an act of choice for the disciple to say, I will believe Jesus. I will trust in what he says. I will recognize that he tells the truth. And if there's a contradiction between what Jesus says and what the world says, who will you go for? Who will you go for? It involves believing in Jesus and in many ways, as I say that, there may be that action of, gosh, I, I've not believed in Jesus. In other words, there's that act of repentance. There's something still to change, something still to turn. A great saint in, in history said, our life is like a mansion. Our, our life is like a mansion. And as soon as we become a Christian, Jesus enters in the front door. And in the house of your life are many rooms. And the journey of discipleship is like saying, Jesus, come into this room and occupy it. Come into this next room and fill it. And through the journey of, of life with Jesus, it's like your whole life, your whole thinking, your whole way of being is transformed with the presence of Jesus. It's not saying, don't mishear this, your part saved. When we trust in Jesus, we're fully, fully saved. We're welcomed into his presence, the gift of eternal life. But he is saying, you need to learn to follow. You need to learn to rethink. You need to learn to see this world differently. Have your marriage and your friendships, of the stuff that you earn and, and disposable income and, and choices In our world of, of, of doubt and cynicism, that's not a kingdom way. You know, the skeptic isn't a kingdom person. This, there's a clip I just want to show. It's, it, some of the youth have seen this, but it's, it's quite clever that Jesus turns on our head sometimes, the ways of thinking. Kingdom way, 
kingly ways following Jesus often needs to reverse our way of thinking. This is the truth. If we just turn things upside down, we can't know God and feel his presence. I would be lying to you if I said that the Almighty wants to be your father, that God has a plan for your life, that he wants to know you, that you are wanted, that you can be loved. But you must know, you don't deserve any of this. And I'm convinced of this because I know the heart of man. We are forever separated from God. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we could be loved by God right now. Because of our dependency on Christ, we have lost the connection to God. But there is so much more you don't know. This is the truth. God is holy and we are not. You should know that exactly the opposite is true. God is holy and we are not. This is the truth. That there is so much more that you don't know. We have lost the connection to God. But because of our dependency on Christ, we could be loved by God right now. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we are forever separated from God. And I am convinced of this because I know the heart of man. You don't deserve any of this. But you must know that you can be loved. That you are wanted and he wants to know you. That God has a plan for your life. The Almighty wants to be your father. I would be lying to you if I said that you cannot know God and feel his presence. If we just turn things upside down, this is the truth. So repentance is seeing things a different way. It's not just feeling sorry for your sins. Repentance is a decision It's a belief, it's recognizing the error in supposing your own way of life is okay. Of trying, of working, of struggling, of chance, of fate. No, not those ways. It's the way of living the kingdom way. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, repent and be baptized. In Revelation, the last book of, of the New Testament. Be zealous and repent. Repentance isn't an emotion. It's not a feeling sorry for our sins. It's a decision. It's deciding that you've been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and, your, and be your own God. It's deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength or the education and the training to make it on your own. It's deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it's deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus and become a pilgrim in the path of peace. I said it's a change of assumptions and allegiances. It is. It's a a rethinking, a a daily dwelling on scripture, of, of taking the words of truth of God, of the way of the king and the kingdom, and meditating on them, of holding them, of seeing 
in your life and in your actions, where, do, where doesn't it conform? And where does that repenting and that believing need to take place? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the world will tell you many things, but learning the ways of Jesus changes that. It's saying, deliver me from the liars, God, from the deception. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire. From the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy. From the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality. From the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long and happily and successfully. From the lies of the religionists who heal the wounds of this people lightly. From the lies of moralists who pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my own fate. From the lies of pastors who get rid of God's commands so you won't be inconvenienced in following the religious fashions. Rescuers from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movements of the Spirit. It's about assumptions. And allegiances. It's about attitudes. I don't know if you've seen the film The Way. Have you seen the film The Way? It was out, I think, last year. Um, I was heading over to to Hyderabad a few weeks ago and hours to kill on the plane and, and they had this film, The Way. I'd seen it, but I hadn't listened to it, watched it. It's Martin Sheen. And the story is very simple. He's, um, he, he, he's an ophthalmologist, does glasses and eyes, and he's in his 60s, likes playing golf, made a lot of money. And his son, who's in his 40s, kind of doesn't want that way. So he thinks, I'm not going to just replicate the way of accumulating more and just living the comfortable life. He says, I want to go and see the world. I want to learn about myself and learn about what makes the world the world. And his dad's like, don't you that stupid, you're 40, you need to settle down, you need to be responsible. And the son goes off and doesn't hear much. And then one day the dad gets a call and says, your son died on a pilgrimage from north France across to western coast of Spain. And his dad flies across to Europe to collect the body. And in kind of a decision, rather than just take the body home in a coffin, has his son cremated and then decides... I'm going to walk the way that my son was doing. And Martin Sheen sets out, he's not really trained for this, and the policeman who's involved with him just thinks he's crazy because it's like 900 kilometers of walking. And he goes on this way, and, and it's his journey. He's looking forward to the destination of, uh, of reaching the goal at the end of 900 kilometers. But the film charts the attitude change of this man along the way. Because there's other people walking and there's a really annoying Dutchman and a really uh, grumpy, kind of hard-hearted Englishwoman and a kind of lost and hurting Irishman who plays the joker but really has lost his way. And these companions along this pilgrimage find their attitudes change. 
Discipleship is having our attitudes readjusted. Our decisions. Someone said this, I'm sure that the bit of the road that requires most to be illuminated is the point where it forks. Let me say that again. I'm sure that the bit of the road that requires most to be illuminated is the bit where it forks. In other words, we're always confronted with, in ourselves, with attitudes. How will we see the other person? How will we respond when someone hurts us? How am I going to be a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a friend? And it's in those moments, in that fork, in that choice, that we need the illumination of the king. Because my guess is most of us know how to take one of the roads, the wide road, the road of self. But Jesus is saying, take the other way. And it involves actions of assumptions, attitudes and allegiances and actions. Discipleship is practical. A reminder, C.S. Lewis says this, our faith is not a matter of hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. That's not what discipleship is about, about hearing some abstract truth and really, really working at it. Rather, he says, the real son of God is at your side. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of person as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his life into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a living person. The part of you that does not like it is still the part that is tin. Jesus, didn't he say, he said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like those intelligent people who build their house on the rock. Standing firm in every pressure of life. How life-giving would it be if, if understanding of the gospel allowed them simply to reply, I will do them. I will find out how. I will devote my life to it. This is the best life strategy I've ever discovered. And then go off to their own fellowship and to live it out in the daily living and see the kingdom come. I was reading a book on holiday and it made this really interesting observation that in our culture in the West, we love to learn, don't we? Do you love to learn? Mostly. But he said there's something not quite right in our loving to learn. He said because the Western love to learn is all about filling our head with knowledge. And it's a kind of very rationalistic kind of last 200 years kind of attitude. And he makes the point that For the first 1800 years or most of the history of humanity, it's been about knowledge that makes a difference. The biblical character of a wise person is they do what they know. They build a house on the rock. Not just know about two houses and rocks, sand. And he goes on to tell this this illustration uh, of 
of how knowledge doesn't always connect to attitude and action. Robert Coles is a professor of psychiatry and medical humanities at Harvard in America. Well-known commentator on matters of social and moral um, behavior. And he makes this point. He says it's important to connect intellect to character. And he says the task is daunting in the West. His essay is occasioned by an encounter with one of his students over moral failure. And it involves some of the best and brightest students, the people who know a lot in Harvard. The student was a young woman from Midwest America, working class background. Whereas is well known, things like right answers and ideology remain strong. She cleaned the student rooms in Harvard to help pay her way through the university. Again and again, she reported to this man, people who were in her classes treated her ungraciously because of her low economic status without simple courtesy, without respect, and they were often rude and sometimes crude to her. She was repeatedly propositioned for sex by one young student in particular as she went about her work cleaning the room. He was a man with whom she had had two moral reasoning classes. In other words, in the lectures, in the courses, moral reasoning. And he excelled in them and received the highest grades. This pattern of treatment led her to quit her job and leave school and to something like an exit interview with this man. After going over not only the behavior of her fellow students, but also the long list of highly educated people who had perpetrated the atrocities for which the 20th century is famous, she concluded by saying, I've been taking all these philosophy courses and we talk about what's true and what's important and what's good. Well, how do you teach people to be good? And she added, what's the point of knowing good if you don't keep trying to become a good person? The disciple doesn't just know a lot about Jesus. What's the point in that? But the wise one, the Christ-like one, is who hears and does. The wise. The Christian way. So a little bit of how-to as we finish. Twelve steps. Gosh, twelve, that's a lot. Interestingly, these... These steps I've, I've kind of slightly modified, but they were, I'm not going to ask for any admission, but they're the ones they use in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know them personally. I haven't. Uh, um, but it's a really successful way of seeing people who beat addictions, of mindsets, of behaviors that are destructive. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in them, and they were originally devised by a Christian. So how about this in the area of repentance? I admit I'm powerless over sin and that my life has become unmanageable. In other words, I can't manage it myself. I come to believe that Jesus is Lord, greater and more powerful than myself and can restore me to sanity. That's a belief statement, isn't it? Trusting Jesus. 
Make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as revealed in scripture. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Admit to Jesus, to myself and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. Resolve to be entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of my character. These are tough, aren't they? But don't we believe in a God who changes us, remakes us, desires that we conform to Christ's image, isn't satisfied with people who are just constantly hamstrung? Humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings. Make a list of all the persons I've harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Continue to take personal inventory, and when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. Seek through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God, praying for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Living in relationship with Jesus and his people, Try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of my life and living. When I read those, I think, gosh, there's so much to do in my life. But as I've journeyed 20 years with Jesus, he doesn't want to change everything all at once. But he does want to change me. And he has a habit of of highlighting where it is and what it is. Maybe an assumption, maybe an attitude, maybe an action. That he wants to be conformed or changed or made Christ-like. And I think those steps are quite helpful and quite radical. Sally in the band, can you can you come and lead us? A disciple is a friend of repentance. Because in the action of repentance we turn to Christ. To truth, to life.